What goes on inside the mind of the Singapore consumer? The Kiasunomics podcast series unravels the way Singaporeans behave across different domains like spending, transport, environment, superstition, schooling, and housing markets. Backed by multiple research studies, NUS Business School professors examine the quirks, psychology, and mechanics behind the daily economic decisions of Singaporeans. Welcome back to another episode of Kiasunomics podcast. Uh, today we want to talk about sustainability and especially related to water. We realize that water is a scarce resource with growing population and increased global warming. The use of water has been rising around the world and as a result, the water tables have been dropping. This has huge implications from a policy point of view. Governments are requesting and thinking of policies to curve water usage. Singapore itself has a policy that suggests that we want to reduce water usage by anywhere from 5 to 10% in the next 20 years. Now to do this is very difficult. It's easy to talk about reducing water, but very difficult on how to do it. You can have behavioral interventions on one side, or you can have actually some mechanical changes to the fittings and other pipes or plumbing in the household. Uh, so today we have Mingjun from the LKY School of Public Policy to discuss with her a very nice paper she has written on the role of plumbing and nudging. Welcome, Mingjun. Thank you. So let me start out by asking you a question. What made you think of this question of the role of plumbing versus nudging? So in Singapore, as you said, water is scarce. It is especially difficult in Singapore in providing clean water resources it's because we don't actually have a water table. So there's no groundwater in Singapore. Um, it's mostly uh, dependent upon water from the catchment or imported water, desalination, and uh, water reuse. Those are very expensive technologies. And um, therefore, Singapore government has a very long history of improving or, or reducing per capita water consumption and providing different kind of policies, just like you said, through uh, tariff, through um, nudging, and through improvement of water efficiency. So these are uh, very important in achieving our goal in reducing per capita uh, water consumption uh, to 130 liters per person per month by 2020. So plumbing is one of the main tools that we will be using. And it so happened that there is a government program that provides heavily subsidized improvements in uh, efficiency improvements in water fittings in the toilets. Can you tell country. us a little bit more when you, when you say about fittings and plumbing, yes. what, is, what does this really mean? Um, it, really, it means that you are upgrading your toilets. So the really old toilets use a lot more water per flush. But now we'll be provide, the government will be providing subsidized newer appliances that uses less water, less water each flush. Similarly with water taps, there are water taps with higher flows in the olden days, and now that with the, with the newer technology, you can use a slower flow uh, that will save you water each time you wash hands. So how does the government do this? Is it like saying, oh, we'll randomly do this kind of thing, or do they systematically pick buildings or apartments to do this changing of the fittings? 
Okay, so the overall program is very systematic. We are essentially aiming at upgrading all the old HDB flats built before 1986 in the first phase and, bef and for buildings before, built before 1997 in the second phase. Within this upgrading program, there is a component, it's an optional, optional component that households can choose to upgrade their, to renovate their old, their old bathrooms. The take-up rate for the program is very, very high. When, I, when the government offered the upgrade, there are about 99.4% of the buildings that's offered the program actually took the improvements. And among those have gone through the home improvement program, about 70% opted for the upgrade of the toilets. So it's, it's a very high uh, take-up rate in comparison to other efficiency rebate programs around the world. And how much does it actually cost both to the government and to the household to go through this exercise of upgrading not just the house, but actually the fittings and the toilets and the kitchens? Well, the, uh, so we don't know the exact costing from the government point, but uh, we know that uh, for individual households, well, I should say that there are many components in the optional upgrade, including the toilet upgrade and also, for example, upgrading the doors, the, the refuse chute. So there are many components. The total cost of this to the government, well, or to the people who have to fully pay the cost, is around 12000 But for Singaporean households that has only one flat, this cost is very low. So we have around 5% to 12% of this, depending on the household type. So for one, bad, one to two bedroom house, it's about $600. Okay. So then what you did is you looked at these houses that were retrofitted with new pipes and stuff and compared them to before they were refitted and also compared them to essentially, I guess, I'm guessing to households that were not refitted or buildings that didn't go through the refitting and then said, oh, let's see what happens to these refitted houses. Is this the experiment you were looking at? Yes, exactly. That is what we did. We compared before and after the upgrade uh, in the households that upgraded to the other households that did not go through or did the upgrade later on. And what do you find? We find a 3.5% reduction in the water consumption. And this effect is long-lasting. So because of, uh, we have a very long range of data, and we can test that this 3.5% reduction in water consumption can last a decade. A decade? Yes. Wow. Okay. So let's talk about the data a little bit. I mean, because it seems like this is very data-driven exercise. What kind of data you are using, and how do you get access to this data? So we have a collaboration with the... Uh, Public Utility Board, PUB, the Singapore's National Water Agency. Through them, we have acquired uh, administrative data on all the residential water accounts in Singapore. So we essentially have consumption billing data for every household every month for 10 years. So you have the billing data for each household for each month for 10 years. Yes. Wow. So that's a huge amount of data yes. you're dealing with. And then you know precisely what is happening to the water usage right after. And you can essentially look if the retrofitting happened in the first year of your data set, this effect lasts for the next 10, 10 years. years. Yes. Wow. So, so tell us more about which households save more because the, within a HDB, there could be two bedroom, three bedroom, four bedroom, five bedroom. Is there variation on the level of water savings? Do you know the type of people who are living there? By floor, is there variation? 
by time of the year, is there variation? What else are you learning from the data? We were able to study quite a number of aspects. So first of all, I think the major difference comes from people whose baseline water consumption differs. So if you are originally using a lot of water, you are also able to save a lot more water. So for people who use less water to start with, they save a slightly less percentage. Mm. Across different flat types, uh, we do see that there is a slight increase in HDB two room and three rooms, but not so much for the HDB one room and the larger HDBs like five two. So their exactly savings for them is less. You're saying yes for the larger. Why do yes. you think? Uh, we, we we think it's because HDB flats also approximates income levels. So for smaller HDB flats, like one to two room flats, it could be because the take up rate for the optional upgrade is low, because there might be less willingness to sell the flats later on, so and, and less money to to actually upgrade to take the upgrade. Although the percentage of the cost need to be paid by the household is smaller for the smaller household, but as percentage of income, mm-hmm. it is still slightly larger. So we think this is the reason for one to two bedrooms not having uh, as big uh, uh, water savings. But for the larger household, it could also be because they are less income elastic because water consumption constitutes a very small proportion of their income. I see. There might be um, less incentive. Or it could be that they might have already upgraded their bathroom before the government policy mm-hmm. kicked in. Mm-hmm. So we would not see much of a change there. I see. So is, this, is there any variation by season? Uh, yes. We also do find that, well, it, we, I wouldn't say this is variation by season, but we do see that with, you know, with climate change, the, uh, it's getting hotter in Singapore. The variation in rain is a lot larger. Um, and even air pollution during, haze mm-hmm. temp- during the temperatures of haze, we do find that HIP actually help. So this, all these factors, I mean, uh, temperature, rain, and air pollution all actually affect water use in households. And the HIP, or the improved efficiency, could actually reduce the impact of, the, of such extreme events I on see. water use. I see. You also looked at the role of nudging. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes, we compared the effect of uh, efficiency improvements with the effect of nudging through peer comparison. For this, we are studying a policy of uh, the water utility bill, or rather the utility bill upgrade in uh, 2016. Essentially, what the SP service did is they started to provide detailed information on how a household's water consumption compared to the nation to the national average and to the neighbors who with the same housing type. Um, through this, we are providing nudges to the households that see you are consuming more than your neighbors, so you should reduce. Mm. You are consuming more than the national average, so you should reduce. But as, as, as I mentioned, there are two nudges being provided within the same policy, the national average and the neighborhood average. We actually found that because of this, the, the, the nudging we provided through the utility bill up- upgrade is not statistically significant. Um, so in other words, you're saying the messaging of the nudge 
confuses the individual because they look, they could be above the national average but below the uh, local average and they don't know which average they should anchor themselves to exactly. and vice versa. Exactly. So that's one reason that, just like you said, for people who consumed below national and neighborhood average, there is a clear message to them that, okay, you are doing better than your neighbors. Even this message is not very helpful mm -hmm. because when people see such, uh, when people anchor themselves as, you know, doing better, they start to think that, oh, I can maybe use a little bit, little bit more water and that will increase my overall happiness. So um, because of this, we see the people in this group actually increasing their water consumption. And for the people who are consuming above one average and, but below the other average, they didn't do anything mm. because they are happy with just being below one average. Um, the only group that had some conservation is the people who are consuming above the, above the national and neighborhood average. I see. Yes. So your conclusion is that nudging has limited ability to save water rather than the plumbing itself. Is that a right assessment? We must admit that, admit that uh, with our assessment on nudging, it is not entirely causal because we do not have a suitable control group. We, uh, the policy is, is uh, implemented nationwide, therefore we are only doing a before and after comparison. We admit to that. But at the same time, when we look at the uh, effect of nudging in other experiments, we see a higher effect of nudging. So there has been a large literature on how well nudging works, and sometimes it may even work after two years, three years, the effect is still uh, detectable. But in those settings, um, there are experiments. Mm -hmm. So there is selection bias. Site selection bias, for example, uh, the places that the utilities that, has, that are more environmentally friendly are more likely to actually adopt such experiments. Mm -hmm. And when they do the experiments, they usually... Um, target high water users. So they remove the people who don't use much water anyways to see that you know the policy works to save water for the people who are on the uh, higher end in terms of water usage. Uh, because of this, we do not know how well the policy will work, the nudging will work when it is implemented nationwide, population-wide. And that is um, what how our um, design is slightly different because we have a large data, we cover the entire population, we do not remove the low water users, uh, we do not choose where to run the experiment. And because of this, we do not see an effect of nudging. In, in our setting, we do see that um, efficiency improvement is working better than nudging in saving water. Thank you very much. This was very informative for our audience who will realize that, look, if the government is asking you to do an HIP, go ahead because you're actually helping to save the water usage for Singapore and helping to save the planet. Thanks for this episode. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Stay tuned as we bring you more interesting research-based insights on a wide range of topics in business and economics. Subscribe to our channel now.